Syria are fans everywhere. From our nation's capital, this is Cool of America. We are back, America. This is the Curve America podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ross, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Marco Charla and Tad Burns, who are the founders of Washington, D.C.'s official AS Roma Supporters Club, Roma Club, D.C. Yay, yay. How you guys doing? What's up, dude? Ciao, everybody. Ciao, everybody. Dude, I f- flew in from Florida today, and boy, are my arms tired. Um, yeah, man. Spent Classic joke. Yeah, I know. I just nailed it. Um, <laughs> I can I can hear the laughter coming from Wednesday already when we released the podcast. Yeah, I rolled down to Florida this weekend. My buddy McKittrick got married. Saw some awesome people that I hadn't seen in a long time. Saw a dolphin uh, and gave two thumbs up. You guys can see that on the on the was curve. Chris America. riding it. Chris Chris was he, he, somehow he knew that I had seen a dolphin. I do follow us on Facebook. Yes. Yeah. So. So yeah, Todd um, loves posting on Facebook too. He t- he posted that picture of the dolphin on Facebook. Yeah, you can also notice that I am just about as pasty a, a half Irish, half Norwegian guy you ever see in your entire life. I've, I guess American. I don't want to give the impression that I'm actually born from one of those places, but yeah, dude, Florida's Florida's pretty wicked. Uh, watched uh, the Roma Fiorentina game poolside, which um, was, I guess, bittersweet. Um, considering that uh, I was poolside underneath some um, palm trees, and then the downside was I threw my computer into the pool once it was <laughs> over, and all you could hear was some guy screaming in Russian, and then glub, 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 glub. Maybe that was going to make the uh, BN network connect work. Oh, man. Maybe That's it didn't. just trash, BN. Another solid weekend for BN. So speaking of Italian soccer and uh, some of the games that made it to BN, uh, we just want to call out and, and tell all, all our listeners, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Also, please subscribe, comment, rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're trying to get our name out there. Please. Yeah, we, or else. We really appreciate you guys uh, you know, letting us know how you feel about the show. Do we have to up the ante and do a in-home Marco Charla pedicure now? On top of the cooking lesson and the Italian lesson, Tad yeah. also has these like monthly like clothes donations. Since you know he's watching his weight and he's just like shrinking out of all his shirt sizes. So if anybody wants a free shirt, Tad gets a lot of European styled shirts. It's it's pretty cool. Very good. All right. So this week in European competition, we had both Juve and Napoli competing in the Champions League, representing Italy. Juve played to a 0-0 draw with last year's Europa League winners, Sevilla, in a game that saw just five shots on the goal combined, while Napoli put themselves in the driver's seat in Group B with a 2-1 away win against Dinamo Kiev, and of course a brace by Milik. But let's start with Juve. Uh, Guys, uh, what do you guys take away from the, the 2016 Champions League debut? I mean, I think that uh, Allegri might have outsmarted himself by putting out that um, first team in the in the in the, in the Serie A weekend, the week week three games. You know, Juventus seemed very uncreative and willing to just play for the zero zero draw. I mean, that's that's the thing about a team like Juventus is they can they can rely on their defense, even though Chiellini's not playing all that great, um, to you know hold off a, a team that has a dynamic attack like Sevilla. 
But yeah, just a snoozer, man. $130 million can still buy you a snoozer. (laughs) Well, I mean, Juventus, despite the game being a little bit lackluster in the entertainment department, Juventus did have a lot of chances. Sevilla was really just playing like a side that, you know, is good tactically. There's tactically sound. Uh, and they, you know, obviously know how to play against big teams like Barcelona and Real Madrid. Juventus came in with a game plan. Uh, some defensive mistakes too, but overall, you know, I think Sevilla came out uh, it's, it's the better a, of the two. It's a result for Sevilla. Right. Sevilla coming away with a point on that one. And then we got Napoli also in Champions League. Uh, what did you think of the Partenope in this week's clash? That's right. They got it done. I mean... They played a, a team that was, you know, not at their caliber, and uh, they got the job done. That's that's really all you can say in, in this situation. Goals from the new guy, and he's doing really well in the league, too. Yeah, I mean, um, my first Champions League game I ever went to was uh, Roma, was Roma-Kiev, and Roma won. Um, Toti scored in the first uh, first championship Champions League game I saw. So I always, you know, in my mind, think that Kiev was a bit better than they are. But no, I mean, outside of of Napoli conceding a goal. They really should have had a clean sheet in this game. Um, I thought they really looked like, you know, Group B is really theirs for their taking. Um, and as we'll discuss as we get into the week, I mean, they're, they're flying. After week one where people were, you know, all the panic behind how are they going to play this year, they've really responded, and they are a definite dynamic team. Yep, it's cool to see them represented Italy in Champions League and doing it well even without Higuain. But then we go to the Europa League, where Italy's represented a little bit more. We got four Italian sides, Roma, Fiorentina, Sassuolo, and Inter. And both Roma and Fiorentina playing well. Uh, They had draws, Roma against Victoria Pilsen, and PAOK, which I still don't know what that means or what it means. I I think it means that Pittsburgh is not good and it's not bad, just PAOK. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, they, so there's the two draws. And then Sassuolo dominated Bilbao 3-0. Uh, and Inter wraps it up just looking inept against another, this is another fun one to say, Opel Beer Shiva in a stunning 2-0 loss. I feel, obviously said Sheva, dude. Yeah, I feel, yeah, I feel like either Walter, <laughs> that team name sounds like Walter is not going to roll on that day. Yeah, or, exactly. Uh, or maybe... Uh, <laughs> Or maybe their like their logo on their jersey is a bride on a chair being hoisted into the air, man. That's 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 a, that's a that's a pretty Hebrew sounding name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, you know I was really pumped to see Bilbao uh, get down by Sassuolo again. Sassuolo didn't have Berardi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sassuolo's still flying high in Europe, uh, and I'm really excited about Sassuolo in general. Roma, I just you know didn't. Just flat. a bad week for they them. Bad flat. week for them. Bad season so far. And uh, yeah, the other Italian sides. I mean, they got to take advantage of the of the Europa League. Even though Champions League spots are opening up now for next season, still we need to represent in Europe. I don't care what the tournament is. You got to win something. I think this year too, like Europa League, they're like the typical powerhouse teams of Europe are in Europa League this year. Like, yeah, you know. and as we've seen with, like, Atletico Madrid and now Sevilla, like, these teams that have kind of ascended to a, a higher tier in other leagues have come out of Europa League victories. What I have to say about this week, though, I mean, Roma, Fiorentina, say what you will, they've both been stumbling as of late. They got draws. They get a point. Um, you know, they, 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 they didn't hurt themselves too bad. 
Um, as you said, yeah, Sassuolo beating Bilbao was amazing. And the cruel thing about Sassuolo coming into the Europa League um, this year is, you know, it's not like they have a whole lot of experience in this tournament. They have a whole lot of experience in international play. And so to see them come in and just handle teams, um, you know, in the qualifiers and then now against uh, Bilbao, who I think is, a, I mean, they're my favorite Spanish team, but they're, they're, a, they're a tough, tenacious Spanish team. That type of victory is a statement. But Inter, wow, man. I mean, as we'll get into their Serie A week, but going down, t- be- getting beat by an Israeli team 2-0, to zero, I mean, that's just that's just poor. And they could easily, I watched that game, they could easily lost that game 4-0. Um, the, the, one of the uh, uh, Beersheva strikers, going to go with that. Yes, maybe we mispronounce it, but, you know, they, they missed a couple of goals. I don't know the striker's name. Inter really has some uphill battle to do. Hopefully, after their result against Juventus this week, they can take this into international competitions. They'll gel a little bit better. But De Boer, man, he was, man, he was, he was sweating like a fat man at a free dance after that game. I bet. Yep. So that wraps up Europe for us. Uh, on to league play for Syria. Uh, week four fixtures once again show that nothing is for certain in this young season. With the stunning Derby d'Italia, definitely the game of the week that we're going to talk about. We also saw Napoli and Sassuolo roll. Milan rebound from last week's disaster against Udinese. And Roma, as we've already said, continue to not be able to find any answers in their young, disappointing season. Even though they have seven points, it's still it's Yeah, still, it still doesn't feel good. Yeah. Right. So let's get into it. Up first, we got Milan-Sampdoria. Baca saves Milan's bacon with a late winner. So, guys, I got to start this game off with kind of the, the backstory of these two teams. Um, we'll start with Sampdoria. Luigi Ferrari Stadium up in Genoa, great atmosphere if you see from the highlights. Uh, the team definitely, or the fans definitely brought it for the team. Um, they also started with a moment of silence for former Italian president Ciampi, who passed away last week. A lot of stadiums um, did that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Sampdoria is looking to bounce back from Totti's uh, penalty kick in, in extra time last week, which we talked about on the last pod a lot. Um, but they have six points, and they're doing pretty good. They, they should be feeling good this season, right? Um, that's kind of their story. But then Milan, kind of the drama that we're going to get into here. Montella, he coached Sampdoria for a bit last season, so he's coming back and, and looking for results because Milan is just not playing well this right. Uh, this this season yeah you could say he got an upgrade from a coaching position that he goes from Sampdoria which is a pretty decent team to you know Milan who's yeah Milan who's Milan exactly the the drama that kind of is in the reports and everything between uh him and Baca apparently Baca has said that he's not getting enough service from his teammates and that's why there's a scoring drought he also dropped in there that during the transfer window he was really considering going to PSG uh, up in France. And there's talk now, so Montella drops the starting lineup, and he's not in there. Um, any thoughts on just whether there might be any drama with that, just to start off with you guys? Yeah, I mean, when you have a team that is generally struggling to find their identity, I think any player on the team is going to want to kind of be this, the, the focal point or, or, or whatnot. It depends on what you think of like as like a rift. Are we calling it a rift that we're talking about prima donna strikers who are talking out of turn um, and therefore there's a coach putting him back in his place? If that's the case, if Baca's talking out of turn, talking about how he didn't want he doesn't want to be there, it's his teammates that are not giving him the ball and that's why they suck and that's why they're doing very well. I mean, granted, if you come off of a loss to Udinese at home, 
and your you're, Milan, you're gonna be you're gonna be pretty ticked off. But if you know Baca's, like I said, talking at a turn, and you know, Montella, who at this point basically has just been checked in the prison yard, like he's got to go out there and say something. Yeah, put him on the bench. This is my team, not yours. If you want to go to Milan, blow. But yeah, maybe pull him aside. You know, be like, hey, yeah, maybe we're gonna try and get you the ball more because you've been isolated. But you can't, you can't clown your teammates. You can't call your coach out like that. And if you do, I wholeheartedly agree with the move for Montella to put Baca on the bench. Let him know who's boss. Well, the the game itself, the first half, pretty entertaining back and forth. But the game really does begin when Baca comes on in the 64th minute for Lapadula, and that's when it gets interesting. Uh, he really was a difference maker. The uh, interesting point in this game, it's two Colombians making all the noise. Sampdori's got Mur- Muriel, and Baca comes on uh, for Milan. As far as I'm concerned, they could have been wearing each other's jersey. It could have been, been, tra- been the soccer parent trap. One for looks me, like he's like, you know, maybe... 12 years younger than the other, but yeah. they look the same. Yeah. For sure. It's like, it's like time cop or something. Like they can't <laughs> occupy the same space at the same time. You know, otherwise it'll cause a rift or a destruction of the space time continuum. I was waiting for like Doc and Marty to, uh, uh, you know, have bringing younger, <laughs> passed out Ibaka to come play, and it's Luis Muriel. Great Scott. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Baca's on in the 64th, and then there, there's a couple highlights that goals that never were. Uh, the 69th, Sampdoria gets a goal pulled back for being offsides. It's a 50-50 call, but Sampdoria didn't really fight for it, so it, it's, it's no story. But then in the 76th and the 81st, Sampdoria's Pereira, who's got a yellow at this point in the game, is making an interesting by basically taking down two Milan players, first Nyang and then uh, Bonaventura, uh, both, you know, questionable calls that didn't get called. Milan was furious in both of them. Um, could have resulted in penalty shots, but but didn't happen. Um, in the, and then another goal gets pulled back in the 83rd. Across from Sampdoria's Barreto <clears throat> finds who else but Colombia's Muriel. Muriel had five total shots in this game. Yeah, and, and good ones. I mean, he was uh, the force for Sampdoria. But the ball nicked his hand, um, and he basically knocks it in, and no goal. And they also give Muriel yellow. Yeah, put Maradona on the back of his jersey and put him in Napoli, and that's Stop a goal. looking like such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so jump to the 85th, and, and Super Sub Baca gets the goal, the, the difference maker. Baca had three shots as in the Super Sub role in this game, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, Suso on the far left sends the through ball, uh, gets it to the near left, Baca pings it against the far post, and it's in. And that's your game. Uh, so just bringing back the drama again of, you know, that's the result. But uh, post-game, Montella claims that not starting Baca was strictly because they had three games in, the, in one week. Uh, question for you guys. Well, let me, let me say what Baca said first. Uh, quote, I always respect the coach's de- decision. It was over now that, you know, the, the kind of the comment of uh, I'm not getting the ball a lot or service from my teammates. Suso gave me good service today. And so that kind of sealed it for me. Like, there's something here. Like, like Montel is not happy with him. It maybe did. He, he did not play him or start him. What do you guys? You yeah, know? but in credit to Baca, if that's the case, he came on and played well. Yeah. And he showed that he's indispensable for the team. And maybe the team responded by giving him some service. But two points there for me. Uh, one, classic you know, manager move. Uh, you got a player who's a little un- unhappy. You put him on the bench. You fire him up a little bit. He gets on. He's got a point to prove. Strikers are definitely a different breed. Number two, 
little bit of media hype because Baca is the guy who really doesn't get in trouble a lot, right? And every freaking time he scores, he gets down on his knees and prays to God. I don't think he's some. Yeah, I don't think he's like the next Balotelli. I think Baca is not that type of player. And if he got a little bit frustrated, okay, it ended up working out. Baca's back, scoring goals. Yeah, yep. I mean, and also it's tough to stay mad at him because he's adorable. The only person that's more <laughs> adorable than Baca is Luis Muriel. I thought you were gonna say Chris. <laughs> that's- so result for Milan. Up next, 3-1 Napoli. Napoli with an impressive win and begins to emerge as one of the best teams in Europe over Bologna. Uh, Also at the top of this table in Serie A. So, Tad, take us through it. Pretty safe to say that Napoli dominated this game from start to finish. They dominated possession. They dominated shots on goals as as big as 21-9. But the story of this game is for either team. And if we're going to look at a positive, it's the Stars getting the score. And I mean, Calion scores in the 14th minute. And he does from a pass from Insigne, who seems to be answering the challenge in a game that Drace Mertens doesn't get in. He's got two, actually he's got three good performances in a row. He lights across across, uh, into the box. Calion beats his defenders. It's one of those plays that I look at and I was like, man, if I was Calion, that thing probably bought a hit me in the kisser and I'd be spitting out my teeth (laughs) instead of running and sliding on my knees with my shirt over my head. Um, Showing off my sweet, bright, white stomach. That's what Napoli wants. But then Bologna come back with a retort, and the guy they come back with a retort is the guy they really want to get going, and that's Simone Verdi. Bomba. Who had, yeah, had a bomba. Uh, and last game, um, he had an incredible free kick goal. And this one, he's got it you know, front, uh, in free play, and he dribbles. I mean, he was so far away, I think he dribbled past me in the bar that I was watching the game before. I, you know, He <laughs> shot it, and I looked up, and there's a ball going in the TV. Um, Absolutely incredible, but um, then towards the end of the game, Milik gets subbed on, and he's just a difference maker, knocks in another brace, and another one was a sick uh, uh, through ball from Hamsik, real pretty, chips the goalie, and the other one was uh, a low laser that he got from a headed pass from Allen. So Napoli comes in this game, they play Bologna, and their stars really show. The only really thing that Bologna's got to look forward to is Verdi, um, is the one that played well for them, but Milik... You know, is the story Milik and Calion are the story of Napoli right now? And I mean, I, do you think that these guys are the guys that they're the answer for who's going to score the goals for Iguain and Napoli? You got it, man. I mean, personally, I think last year Napoli was a little bit too reliant on Iguain. Not taking anything away from Callejon because he's been scoring goals ever since he joined Napoli and when he was on Real Madrid too. He's a goal scorer because he's an opportunistic goal scorer he's always in the right place Milik I mean again it was another like we were talking about last week this is another Kalion goal where he's running um you know at the goal and just has a feel where he is and is able to put it in the net always and uh Milik you know he like you said it's it's gonna it's like a two for one because I don't think Milik is the type of forward that is gonna make goals himself I think he's gonna really rely on service but he's a big and he, he's big, he gets his head on on on, uh, on on the end of crosses, and he's a nuisance in the box. Yeah, and he has skill too. He will come up with one or two, but last year, I mean, you had Iguain scoring bicycle kicks for, for the record, you know? Yeah. So it's it's going to be a different type of strike force, but sometimes that help that helps teams out because they're really kind of narrow-minded uh, last year with, with Hamsik. Or, three, I'm sorry, with Iguain. Three games, two different competitions, 
three straight braces for Milik. And the funny thing is, at the beginning of the season, the narrative, you know, in the Italian and English papers was, you know, where where is Napoli going to find their goals? And it was really kind of discussing that, you know, maybe they're going to drop out of the European competition. And what they've just shown us is, is that, you know, yes, Iguain was making incredible goals, like you said, bicycle kicks and stuff like that, but they have a sick team around them. Now, from Bologna's standpoint... Um, Bologna. But yeah, Bologna is Bologna. But, you know, they, they, they were towards the top of the table and we were discussing last week about how, you know, how good they looked. But it seems like the only, you know, I mean, the teams they've beaten are the newly promoted teams. And who are they going to be in this game? I mean, Tater Salad, Cresci, <laughs> Di Francesco, they all look pretty pedestrian. Junior Costa, their goalie, looked pretty good for what, you know, for what it's worth. He made a lot of miraculous saves, but he did let three go in. Crushy can ball. He had a nice juke again coming from the wing and doing a left foot across the goal. I mean, that's that's a skill that might get him out of Bologna. Um, but uh, this is a team that I think that they're not they're gonna they're gonna beat the teams beneath them and around them. They're not gonna be able to beat the top top half of the team. This was a one sided match as you would expect. And and good news from Napoli going forward. They signed Koulibaly uh, through twenty twenty one. There's a lot of rumors that he was gonna go to Chelsea. Um, in the international, sorry, in, in the January transfer window, and that he was going to leave this summer. So Napoli looks for real. Yeah, they look good. Up next, Udinese Kievo. Kievo takes this one late, really late. They take it two to one. Marco, what do you got? Here's a game where Udinese is looking like they might sneak out with another point. And we were bashing Udinese earlier in uh, in the beginning of the season because they lost. Di Natale, and you know they, and they just got smoked by Roma in Week One, right. right? But you know they've been able to squeak out a few points, including last week against Milan. And when they scored in the 25th minute, Duvan had a nice header. Uh, at, you know they were up, they were at home, they were pumped up, and I was like, here we go, Udinese is about to get another three points, and and they're gonna keep moving. Um, but then. I think Kievo really is just a better team in this situation. They have the better individuals, and uh, more specifically, Birsa. He's really playing well this season. He grabs shots from the outside of the 18. He he's he's the playmaker. Uh, they have some experience up top with Pelissier. Uh, basically, in the 82nd minute, Lucas Castro gets a kind of a tap in off of Pelissier's header, and then. In the 95th minute, Cacciatore scores off a Lucas Castro play. He ran down the goal line, laid it across, and Cacciatore is running over to the Udinese fans. You know, they're pissed. Uh, but, you know, I was happy because hey, I think... Ellis is not in the league anymore, so he's gotta, they got to taunt somebody else now. <laughs> I was happy because I think Kievo's a good team, and I, I like when good teams get rewarded. Again, uh, the game was pretty one-sided, Uh 13 to 5 in shots. They had more corners. They had more possession. Kievo was just the better team. Uh, but Udinese, again, showing some fight. And I think that, who knows? I think maybe both of these teams end up, uh, you know, mid table. You know, think of it like this Udinese, if they win this game, they have nine points and they're second in the Serie A. Yeah, it's early in the season. Early in the season, but yeah. still all the trash we were talking about. We were talking about quasi-relegated to these people that they're going to fight relegation. They still got six points. Kievo has won their second game of the season. They have a loss and they have a draw, and now they have seven points. Yeah. And they're second or third in the Serie A. And, um, you know, yeah, Birsa, he's a player. He's good. But I really like this Lucas Castro. Um, I mean, you know, he's 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 now coming into his prime. He's 27 years old. 
Um, you know, the Argentinian is really starting to make a nuisance of himself and just roam the midfield. He has a lot of tackles every single game. He always has some impactful play um, that really results. I mean, it's him scoring a goal here and then setting up setting up the other. Um, I think that, yeah, as Marco said, this Kievo squad, they might... He says middle of the table. I think that this is a team that if, if, if they can keep these players going and they can... Um, you know, find ways to win late in the game when when uh, you know lesser teams would pack it in could challenge for a European spot. Considering the way some of these so-called powers in the Italian league are playing at the current at the moment, so you're hoping Chievo's flying donkeys continue to fly high. Yes, I've <laughs> flying donkeys. I think you best. said I think you said third in the league, uh, and they're actually fifth, but they would be third had it not been for goal differential again. It's early in the. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's too season. early for those numbers to really make much of a difference. But the, I think the point is they're fighting and they're competing every single game. And 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 seven points after four games for Kiev Verona is a good result, especially if you have a couple of quality players playing really well and turning up every single game, not disappearing like some of these other teams that they might consider their contemporaries, like a Bologna. Fly donkeys, fly. All right, up next is our game of the week. Inter. Juventus. Inter sneaks away with three points against the king, Juventus. So I got this game, guys. I'm going to start just to set the, the, the scene. We're up in San Siro, and this is the Derby d'Italia. The background with this team, with these two teams, we got Juve, right? They're 3-0 and against solid Serie A teams, right? They got Fiorentina, Lazio, Sassuolo, took care of all of them, no problem. And that's where you'd expect Juventus to be this, at this time of year. And they're also, uh, you know, doing okay in the Champions League. Tad mentioned last week, 130 million euros on the field. That's getting results. That's what you'd expect. And then you got Inter, who is historically a powerhouse. Um, but in a word for this season, stumbling. And uh, week one, they got a loss to the Flying Donkeys. We just covered in Kievo. And week two, we got a draw against Palermo at home. Week three, the Dolphins of Pescara almost get away with a draw, and Icardi saves them with injury time uh, to save for the draw. Uh, question for the group. Before we even kick the ball, are you excited for this game? No, I, I read a really good article by James Horncastle leading up to this uh, uh, uh Leading up to this fixture, I guess if we're going to use the the, the English way of talking about lead up to this game, only when you talk about James Horncastle. Only when I talk about James <laughs> Horncastle, and after their showing against um, uh, in in the midweek in the Europa, I thought they, it was going to be a steamroll. Um, you know, Acardi's getting going a little bit, but like Juve, you know, rolling. Look, 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 rolling looks we light him up. They had the, they kind of had the bad Sevilla game as well, but no, I, if you'd asked me before this game, I would have told you it was going to be a three zero Juventus win. Oh man, I was excited. <laughs> Seventy six thousand people in the stadium. San Siro is still the number one or two stadium when it's full in Italy. Just the way it was naturally built, and yeah, there was a bunch of hype. In my opinion, Inter probably right after Juve was, you know, and and probably Man U at that is like one of the best transfers windows that I've seen in a long time. They're stacked. They're all stacked. When you have stacked teams playing against each other, Inter versus Juve, a little bit of history. Yeah, I was pumped. Yeah, I mean, I, you really think that Inter was going to come and have the showing they did? I don't think anybody saw that coming. 
I guess it goes to show, though, that for some people, Inter Juve will always be a game worth watching. That's yeah. right. I, I get the rivalry, but but Marco loses on this one because when I, I saw that this was coming up, just given Inter's results, it's snooze fest. I'm not looking for, I think Juventus is going to steamroll just like Tad did and, you know, proven wrong, but uh, uh, not looking forward to the game. Well, maybe you guys are right because, you know, I saw in the last two days being replayed the game against Espanyol like probably like seven times and I don't think I've seen a replay for the Inter Juve game yet yeah, yeah. Um, so let, let's just get to the game itself and as Marco said wait San- a minute did you just bring up BN as a standard bearer for uh, the excitement <laughs> of the Serie A hey man business <laughs> analytics they, I mean they, Jesus Christ himself could be playing in that game and they'd probably show Cristiano Ronaldo you know um, eating pudding Rather than <laughs> than him being than Christ being resurrected, who uh, eats pudding? Who still eats pudding? <laughs> but uh, Marco's I right. I watched Juve enter. Absolutely, Marco's right. San Siro, great atmosphere for this game, despite the two teams' results. Uh, you know, really, just well done to the fans. I mean, it was it was rocking, um, and Inter kind of came with it. They had some great shots. Adair took one twenty yards out early on. Um, it didn't go in, but but uh, really good shot. Icardi also had one from the far right, uh, pushed it wide. But but you know Inter is in this game for sure. Uh, on Juve's side, Caderas, it's it's been back and forth. Pjanic getting out there, he he really kind of presented his game, uh, started this game for Juve. So an, an interesting back and forth first half. The second half, uh, Inter's still feeling good. Which honestly, going into the locker room, you gotta feel like well hey. It's Juve, and we're we're hanging with them. That that's a good start, given that we you know drew against Palermo, um, and that, that I thought immediately like what was the speech for De Boer in the second half in the uh, halftime? Immediately thought Gene Hackman screaming from the Hoosiers. In my book, we're winners. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Anything else I that he's saying you, in there? I love when you talk about these movies I never watched. Hoosiers <laughs> is a classic, man. Um, I, I'm just happy he didn't reference Chuck Knobloch again. <laughs> uh, no, it, to a certain extent, I think that uh, Frank DeBoer outcoached Allegri. Um, again, he kind of exposed the um, the traditional Juventus lineup, and they really pressed um, in, uh, Juventus's wingers. Um, Pjanic kind of sat in that uh, old Pirlo role. Um, that he has, and which I think is is not really the best role for Pjanic, you know, being in front of the defense, uh, um, you know, uh, bringing the ball up. Um, I think that once Marquisio cuts back, which oh my goodness, Marquisio has been is, is practicing this week. Inspector Gadget. Yeah, once once he gets back, he'll probably fill that role. But De Boer, you know, I mean, I think answered the bell and came up and and was not afraid to use the skill of his players to attack the formation and win this game. Um, you know, in a battle of mentalities between coaches and rather just it being pure talent and skill on the field. So Inter's definitely in it, uh, but then Juve does what, what Juve does, right? It just, they, they tend to break your back late in the game. And in the 66, uh, Inter Sandro burns D'Ambrosio, fires across again in the six. So a theme from last week, just keepers getting beat in their six yard line box. And Licksteiner gets a foot on it, just taps it in, and it goes in. one nothing Juve. We're in the last third of the game. It looks like Juve's going to take this, right? Licksteiner, too. Chip on his shoulder. Wasn't included in the Champions League uh, roster. So he, him scoring that goal, you know he was hyped. 
and and so there we are. We got one nothing Juve. Question for the group: Just you think Inter is going to come back at this point? Inter was gelling. I mean, they had more shots overall at the end of the game. They had more possession. Uh, I just think that they had so many players coming in, and sometimes it takes this big game to get everybody kind of on the same page. New coach, new wingers, new midfield. Yeah, I did believe that they were going to get back, especially because especially because Marco. Marco is the optimist Come of the podcast. Especially because man. Icardi, Icardi is getting in form, and he's one of the best strikers in yeah, Serie A. Yeah, yeah, come on now. I mean, like, it is DeBoer. He's never coached in the Serie A. You did watch that game. They just got beat 2-0 by an Israeli team. Um, Icardi can keep you in it, but, like, I'm not watching that game being like, oh, you know, they just need some time to gel and all this kind of stuff. Like, they're going to the buzzsaw that is Juventus that has been beating down teams with just random mismatch lineups and not I mean they didn't even come in and play like you know I'm sorry Chris like Crotone like they've come in and they've beaten the other team from Rome um they beat Fiorentina you know I mean it's it's maybe maybe Juventus got a little bit too cute like with Allegri trying to do all these different lineups and have them you know that, that maybe it's more that Juventus wasn't gelling and they needed a reason to come back together after the draw of Sevilla but at no point Am I being like, oh, you know, once Inter gets together, they're going to take down Juventus in the Derby yeah. d'Italia. Like, I don't know about that, man. Well, Marco's optimism wins out here. Two minutes later in the 68th, Benega on the near left corner puts the ball on Icardi's head on the seven-yard line and curls it into the far corner, and San Siro just erupts at this point. 1-1, one, one, we're back in it. That's it, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, Benega, is, he's a baller. I mean, him, Kendreva, and, and Mauro Icardi, Again, like if this was them playing Empoli and you're like, oh, they just need to get it together there, I, I would tend more to agree with you. But the fact that this is Juventus and Juventus has the greatest defense in the world, um, that like the, 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 the performance are all going to bring it together. So uh, next thing that happens is just subs on and off, uh, two important subs. Eder goes out and Perisic is in and the fat man cometh. Ilkia Tony himself. Fat boy G. Iguain onto the field. And then uh, Icardi's in the mix again. Uh, he's on the end line with a broken play and basically hacks the ball, chips it to a streaking Perisic, super sub again, and it goes in, 78th minute, and there you have it. Inter using the Rocky Two script. Please tell me you've seen Rocky Two, Marco. I've seen Rocky II. Who, right. who, who wins? Who wins the fight at the end? Who, who fights in that fight and who wins at the end of Rocky Two? I think II? Uh, Inter. Won that fight, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just like I won this one. All right. Uh, I mean, I again, I'd like to go back to this this formation that they did. I think that the way, if we're gonna go to kind of this thing that like you know, Inter's team coming together, the way they put this 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 team together allowed them for De Boer actually for me to show some like real coaching chops. You know, with you Juve liking to play the three five two, De Boer comes out with the four two three one. Um, and he has, you know, Joe Mario and Gary Mendel just running all over the place trying to protect their back line. And then you have Kendreva, Benega, Eder, and Icardi able to put a lot of pressure on Juventus's back line. I think that, you know, after a while, they kind of broke them down and they were able to knock those two goals in. So last question for the group. Where does Inter go from here? You think they've hit their stride and, all right, now they're going to go as a top four team now? 
Well, they definitely got to get confidence from this game. They just beat Juventus, and they just beat Juventus at home in the Derby d'Italia. I mean, you know, they, they, they all get to go. Now, free massages at every place that they go to in, <laughs> in, in the capital. Sorry, not in the capital, in, in Milan. But I think the other question is, is you know, Juventus, where do they go from here? Mm-hmm. You know, now they've tasted defeat, and a lot of the, you know, the, the press being out right now is that, you know, a lot of the, the Juventus players and coaches are like, oh, yeah, it's actually good that we lost. You yeah, know, and it's like, and that's uh oh, because yeah. last year that's what they said when they, you know, when they when they lost two of their first, you know, four matches or four of their first ten matches, and look what happened—they ran away with the scudetto. I think that Inter right now they're in a good position because they're playing Empoli next week, then they play Bologna, Oof. and then they play uh, AC Sparta Praha before they go to Roma. So yes, I think that. Maybe Inter has turned the corner. I think Juve is going to be just fine. Um, yeah, Juventus excited. is Juventus is going to be just fine. Inter, though, I mean, like, as we've seen so far in the Serie A, they could come out and they could lay an egg to Empoli. Yeah. You know, they really, they really got to work to follow up on this win with, with, with getting some more points. Yep. Congrats, Inter. Up next, Cagliari simply knock Atalanta's block off. Tad, take us away. Yeah, um, the story of this game is that Cagliari really keeps improving. Um, Borriello tags on two more goals in this game, one in the eighth minute and one in the 73rd minute, um, in two different styles. Uh, in his first goal, he beats a, a central defender in front of the goal, taps one in, um, redirects the ball, and the second one, he bends it like Beckham with a left foot 30 yards out, and it threads two defenders. Actually, they could probably... Uh, uh, hear the ball whistle Omerda um, as it went past them into the goal. And the other is the, you know, is the continued good play of Marco Sao. He was absolutely all over um, this, you know, this game. Uh, his goal, uh, you know, basically Isla dribbles the entire Bergamo, the city of Bergamo down to the end line and cuts one back to him as he's streaking through in front of the six-yard box, then cuts another one back there. I mean, just they look like Barcelona on that play. So, you know, Calgary, they, they take another step forward. Um, they look like they were one of the best teams in Italy. I mean, Mar- Marco Sao put on a, a clinic, you know, dribbling, creating chances for himself. When he doesn't have the ball, he's moving without it, getting in good position for him to score, for him to make that extra pass, you know, for someone else. And this game could have been easily, you know, five or six to zero. Um, Joe Pedro and Fabio uh, Pisacane just missed comically easy goals, just crossed wide open in front. They just were maybe just too gassed to get there. So I guess the question is, Borriello, his goal rate, is he going to be able to keep this up and, and keep pushing forward and be one of the premier strikers in Italy? Four goals. Four goals already in the beginning of the season. That's, that's a good tally. And, I mean, I remember when he was on Roma, he you could always kind of count on Borriello scoring at least a goal every three three games, you know I mean? I think that Borriello's never been an elite striker, but he's got an incredible eye for goal. Uh, so I think he'll probably continue being pretty solid. I don't know if he'll end up at the top of the charts, just because Cagliari, even though, again, they're playing very well, uh, you know, things sort themselves out throughout the season. They are a newly promoted team, and I don't know if they're going to pull a Leicester. You know why I love Marco Sao? Because he has my name. Because he has an incredible eye for goal, and he's a he's and he's modest, just like you. He's got great vision, and because when Cagliari was relegated, this is a player that could have easily gone to one of the top teams, and he stuck with him, brought him back up, and here he is again, being dangerous. Marco Sao is 
classic. What, yeah, but I mean, like, what's it going to take for Calgary to play consistently? Because you have Isla, who's just basically been a bulldog. Um, you have Boriello, who, you know, I mean, he's 36 years, 34, 36 years old, something yeah. like that, you know, scoring at this rate. And, you know, honestly, in the other teams that he's played with as, in his journeyman, he has not been the 90-minute or, you know, the 60-70 minute striker that you've seen so far. Oftentimes, he was kind of the super sub, limited, coming off the bench um, type of player. But, you know, with Joe Pedro and uh, and Marco Sao, I mean, what is it going to need from them? Bruno Alves, you know, is an aging player. What's it going to take from them to consistently play like this and, you know, challenge for a spot in Europe or at least just stay in the middle of the table? Look at the other players, though. I mean, Simone Padoin played with Juve. Uh, Taxidis played a little bit everywhere, but also with Roma. I think they don't just have those couple players. Uh, and I think that they, you know, they are pretty solid I think that things are going to sort themselves out. Well, no, man. This is this is my promoted team that I picked because I had a jersey of them. <laughs> and I'm going to start making wild predictions like they're going to play in Europe next year. On the other side of this, Atalanta took a big step back. I mean, yeah. my man, Frank Kessie, um, was just really nowhere to be found. And, you know, in the midweek in the press, he was talking about how you know, he's talk, you know, he's, he scored these goals. And now, now he's talking about making that move to Manchester United. Um, Fiorentina has been linked in, in the in the midseason transfer window, but like that's just poor taste, man. You can't come in and talk about your next step. I mean, maybe chalk it up to he's 19 years old, but then you know say that and it disappear in this game. Alejandro Gomez was really the only player that I thought that turned up for Atlanta at all. Paloski missing his oh man that, third yeah. PK in a row, I think it was yeah, his third in a row, man. He he's I mean may, maybe it's time to switch to Gomez on that one. It's 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 a weird thing that. You you think he get three in a row? I'd be blown away if he got he got if he took the next one. I think Atalanta is going to be okay, though. You know because again, they are a pretty solid team, and honestly, they showed glimpses of of a very good squad in the past couple weeks. It is still early, and it's yeah, crazy I can't believe they though, only man. have four it's, pair it's points. It's crazy the Serie A this season so far that they they've looked good last week, mm-hmm. and again they turn around and they get beat this week. They get destroyed by Calgary. Lots of good teams in Serie A this season. This week's episode of Crew of America is brought to you by Ireland's Four Courts. Ireland's Four Courts is one of the best soccer bars you ever go to. Unfortunately, or fortunately for you, you have to come to the Washington, D.C. metro area. You got to either drive there or you can take a uh, uh, Uber or you can take a metro to the courthouse metro stop. You can come super early. They have been opening up as early as 6 a.m. Um, for soccer fans for 20 years. They have DVR games. They have 60 cent wings that are off the chain. They have all sorts of drink specials. They are the pub for the official supporters club of Roma, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham. Great atmosphere. Big shout out to David and all the boys and girls at Ireland's Four Courts. Also guys and girls, please um, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. We're becoming more and more prevalent on that. And please, 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 uh, if you like the podcast, you don't like the podcast, go and rate us on iTunes. Go and make a comment on iTunes. Like us on SoundCloud. We're available on all those platforms. We look forward to hearing from you guys. Up next, Fiorentina Roma. Laviola winning with a controversial goal and break this podcast collective heart. Marco, take it away. Roma, head scratcher. Once again, we're getting tired of saying it, but 
you know, it's there's there there's the tie against Victoria Pleasant in the midweek in the Europa League after getting knocked out of the Champions League. And then here they go to the Viola and they, they start the game off pretty well. I mean, they're possessing. Jekyll misses his two or three chances, you know, per usual Natch. standard. Uh, diving all over the place. You know, I can't believe he's actually six foot four. But then, you know, the game kind of turns around a little bit. Fiorentina picks the, the match back up. They get a little bit of energy behind their fans. And Roma's kind of caught not really having any answers. Towards the second half, they start subbing in people on the bench. And me as a Roma fan, I'm sitting there. I'm like, come on, guy. We have El Sharawi on the bench. We have, you know, we have some players on. We got Tati on the bench. Let's get these guys on. Well, Spalletti did pretty much all that. I mean, he put on El Sharawi. He put on Tati. And he, then who he put, on, he put on? He put on? He might be the worst soccer player I've ever seen. And then, you know, per the script... You got Fiorentina scoring at the end of the game. Uh, they say it's a controversial goal. I honestly was probably just so disappointed that I didn't even realize the guy was offsides. Kalinic, uh, he let the ball go through his legs. Badel shot from the outside of the 18. It was a nice shot. And Kalinic was offsides. It, he hopped over the ball and it went to the corner. I think Chesney was probably not going to get it anyways. Uh, I think I was more disappointed in the fact that Roma looked like they just freaking thrown in the towel yeah Roma really needs to look and see what's the composition of their team what are their strengths and let's stick to those going forward I think a big strength of them is to make sure that wanting to everybody never sees the field again um but you know you, with your I mean just running around like a chicken with his head cut off and I mean he had he had to play this game where he had the ball th- thrown in as a uh, out of bounds throw to him and he just kicked it out of bounds. He's like five feet, you know, five yards away from, from out of bounds. And he couldn't even possess the ball at his feet from five yards. He just kicked it out of bounds. He's just an absolute turnover machine. But I think what Roma needs to look at is they really need to rely on their midfield. Um, they need to have the Strutman, Nangolan, DeRossi combination, um, you know, be working more tight and build everything from around there. Because right now, to be honest, um, you know, the Viola did not have a very good attack in this game. No. So it made for the defense, the, the problems that Roma's been having with the defense, you for, to forget about them for a little while, but their their back line is very shaky. Juan Jesus has been a disaster since in you know, the past couple of games. Um, you know, Fazio might turn out to be a player. Manolas is, you know, still trying to find out who he is, but then going up front, um, you know, Perotti, Sharawi, Salah, Dzeko, I mean, all these guys have basically forgot how to be creative. I mean, this was a very dynamic scoring attack at the end of last year. And then starting with Udinese, you know, right now, if you look at the last three games, guys, without Francesco Totti having a superhuman effort, you know, Ro- Roma is mid to bottom of the table at this yeah, point. Two, two points for me on, on Roma. Just one, they, they're just flat is the word that comes between Europa and Syria. Other than, you know, opening the season with Udinese, flat is what they look like to me and you know really from what i remember from last season like like you were saying with the midfield nangolin owned the field last year Mm -hmm. in our games and it's just it's not there i'm not blaming him but but we don't own the midfield and and seeing him more involved getting the ball up to the forwards totally would like to see more of that it's it's the type of thing where you know it seems like roma is the is the team that rolls on waves i mean 
you know, they they start out the seasons really well. They're doing really well for a long time. Then they drop off for a really long time. Then they go waves on and off. But here's the here's the head scratcher for me. Different coaches, different transfers. We, I mean, we've had good transfer windows. Different, you know, ownership over the years. New stadium around the corner. I mean. I can't sweet Roma clubs in Washington D.C. <laughs> I I don't know what else needs to happen. At this point, you know, call it Spalletti, whatever. The players need to own the field. They need to own the team, and they need to have a winning mentality. Because I'm sick of watching a flat Roma team that should not just be representing the city. They should be representing Italy in Europe, and they're not doing either one. I mean, I think also, too, with this team, you got to remember, this is a Fiorentina team that Roma dominated last year. There hasn't been much difference in that team from last year to this year. And Fiorentina, it's not like, you know, they've had a change. You know, they've had a revelation as of late and have been playing extremely well. Like, they have been flat and awful as well. And, you know, this was a game between two f- flat teams, as, you know, as Chris said. And, uh, you know, Roma allows some crappy goal to come in and you know we're now we're talking about you know a team of seven points that's just not really inspiring at all one one last thing on roma before we leave this game just an interesting strategy uh i kind of figured that with these uniforms maybe trying to dupe be in by dressing like barcelona in the hope that maybe we get more tv time well, that was that was successful because then they they put the real madrid game on the spanish channel and the the usa channel Fine, you know, I guess Real Madrid gets more fans, understandable. Uh, but then, you know, the entire BN online connect crashed and wasn't working. So, so BN, we're looking at you <laughs> guys, <were>. man. <laughs> Button it up, man. It's got to be better. You have paying customers. We need, yeah. All right. Congrats to Fiorentina. They did. No. They did win the game. No, not congrats to Fiorentina. <laughs> All right. Cut that out. <laughs> up next, Sassuolo Genoa. Sassuolo rebounds from last week's loss to Juventus and continue their impressive start to the season by winning 2 nothing. Tad? Yeah, there's also some dude on Genoa named Laxalt um, who looks like an emaciated version of James Franco in the Spring Breakers, man. I mean, <laughs> just rat dreads. I'm surprised he didn't have like a gold grill in his mouth while he was playing. Um, not a whole lot to say about the Sassuolo-Genoa game. Genoa did play hard and had some opportunities to score but Sassuolo just kind of continued this dynamic attack this very fast-paced moving uh, style of play that they've you know adopted over the past year or so um, and just executed perfection Genoa even won the possession battle and takes six more shots on goal but Sassuolo just plays a more creative style of soccer Genoa does have one of the more exciting Italian you know young Italian players out there in, in Leonardo Pavoletti um, and he almost converted for the first goal of the game. He stepped in front of the defender, had a foot on the ball. It just went wide. Genoa fans all, you know, uh, 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 tear out their hair in disbelief. But don't worry, Genoa fans. Pavoletti quickly made up for this. Uh, missed by fouling Defrel inside the box about a couple minutes later, resulting in uh, Politano of Sassuolo getting a PK, which I was surprised to see. Um, that uh, Politano being the guy that takes the PKs for Sassuolo, but he knocks one in the 58th minute. Sassuolo's up 1 0. Um, and then the scoring continues with uh, Federica Pelusa with a beautiful left footed cross into the box. Um, and Defrel 
who just sprinted past two defenders beautifully, stretches completely out, Superman, and knocks in a header um, in front of, again, two defenders. And one of these happening to be the emaciated James Franco in Spring Breakers. And then Genoa just basically throws in the towel, they draw a red card, game's over. Um, and Genoa was undefeated into this game going into it, and Sassuolo takes three points from them. They got beat by Juventus um, in a game that Berardi didn't play. They go midweek, they win in impressive fashion against Bilbao, and then they come back at home um, in the MyPay Stadium. They were Chris's favorite color combination of jerseys, that being green and black. Big fan. And uh, uh, they notched three points from a team um, from, from a team that, that was previously unbeaten with their best player still on the sideline from injury. But the one thing Sassuolo has got to be excited about is DeFrel. Another excellent performance. I guess you should probably look forward to seeing him underachieve for an underachieving French national team in the next World Cup. Um, but he's been impressive so far this season. Yeah, and again, you just Berardi's out, but Sassuolo still has weapons. And uh, DeFrel, he is a good player. I can't I can't wait till Berardi comes back. I mean, I'm I'm starting to find myself becoming a, a Sassuolo fan, you know, deep down. Dude, they play a sexy style of soccer, man. I mean, but it's just because they're repping in Europe and they're, you know, obviously, I'll never become a fan of anyone else, and I will forever be disappointed. But it's you know, Sassuolo is a team that's repping Italy right now, and I, I think anybody can get around them. I think a great thing too is that they're extremely well coached. Di Francesco's got that team humming, and he's um, Roman. Yeah, and outside of being a <laughs> yeah, outside of being a guy who you know looks like that dude in the movie uh, who who's like an IT computer nerd, um, but then find out that he's also a super spy and can wreck the disco tech when the bad guys come around. Was that too Marco? Have you seen that one? Is that is that too narrow of a of, of a stock Hollywood character for everyone right there? But yeah, you guys are so cool. He, he he definitely looks like he's Clark Kent with his glasses on. Who's Clark Kent? <laughs> and on that note, on to the next game. We got three nothing. The Eagles or the other team from Rome continue to fly high against Pescara. Immobile continues to earn his paycheck. Marco, what do you got for us? Another good performance by uh, OTFR. They, uh, they're honestly shown that they're going to be one of the more dynamic teams. And I think the addition of Chiro Immobile is really, uh, that's why they're, they're able to stretch teams. He's got the pace. And, you know, this, they, they were able to hold on to Felipe Anderson uh, in the transfer window. So I think that OTFR is going to be very good this season. Uh, but the game starts out, you know, with... Uh, Pescara missing a PK. Uh, Bastos fouled Caprari in the box, and this guy whose last name is probably one of the hardest ones to say, but I think it's it's Menjuani, Menjuani. Close enough. He hey, ma- get your own American podcast about the Syria. He misses, and it's like literally the worst PK I think I've seen in in a year. Pescara cannot afford to lose chances like that. You can't miss yeah. PKs if you're a newly promoted team. Yep. No. And. Uh, you know, 0-0 zero, zero, zero throughout the game, uh, even though the other team from Rome was kind of dominating the entire game. Uh, they left it late to score, but then it was it was rapid fire. 67th minute, crossed by Felipe Anderson. Really nice header from Savic. Just, you know, top shelf, upper 90, right side. 72nd minute, that's five minutes later, Ted. Stefan Radu, beautiful header, opposite corner. Sorry, I'm counting the, counting the seconds in my head right now. 76 minute, big clearance from Bastos, 
and then Keita gets the ball, play the game, you know, does all the work, and then slots Ciro Immobile on from the goal line, and there is the other team from from Rome, three nothing. Again, they're flying high. I really see this team being a massive nuisance to the top four teams. I'm not so sure they're going to end up in the top four, but they are, like I said earlier, they got different angles to attack you from between Felipe Anderson and Chiro Immobile, kind of a really dangerous team. Up next, the highlight of the podcast, Crotone Palermo. The two teams from the South struggle to come to a 1-1 tie. Just a tough game to watch. I wrote in my notes here that this game is like watching last place. And sorry for it's a baseball reference, but it's the Tampa Bay Rays taking on the Minnesota Twins. No one in the stadium. Just super quiet. It's not like this is a professional game going on. Just already tough to watch. I would I would show you, but I wrote my notes, but it's way too long of a poem about my level of love for this game that, that went on between Palermo and Crotone. Yeah, both are already like we're early on in the season, but you can feel like they're just not in the race already. The fans know it. It's just a bummer of a atmosphere, which is tough. You know, I'm clearly on the Crotone bandwagon, but but what did Crotone do? That's right, first point of Syria in the history of Crotone. Yes, well I done. Think, I think that deserves a little high applause yes. right there. Put your hands together, Marco, for the mighty Croutons. Well done, Croutons. Uh, they they really have nothing to lose for the season, so I, I do kind of hope they're starting to play with just pageant style. Because, you know, why not? There's there's nothing else. Um, just to the goals themselves, they're just terrible goals. Uh, <laughs> the, it's just Are you sure Empoli didn't play in this game. Yeah, uh, the Croutons Gonzalez sends a through ball up Palermo's little middle, and Falcinelli takes a touch, and then the Palermo, their goalkeeper Posovec, and their left back. Reykjavik basically have a bad news bears moment and collide the ball dribbles through both of them near to the goal and Crotone's Trota buries it. it it sums up the beginning of Palermo's beginning of the season just like two players collide the ball dribbles towards their net doink doink exactly <laughs> fast forward uh, you got the 66 minute another terrible goal uh, Palermo Salai uh, puts the he's got a good run on the far far corner um simple through ball to uh, Nestorevsky in the box. It's bad marking on Cortone's part. He buries it, and that's your game. It's 1-1 draw. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that Deserbi still seems to be Palermo's go- uh, coach, so they haven't fired him yet. Um, but just the message to both of these teams is just, like, you have nothing to lose. Just play, and just kind of play with some flair, play with some passion, and see what happens. As a long-time Serie A fans, I love watching these rat boy teams playing against each other just because, you know, it's it's always a little bit, you know, a little bit uh, dirty. You know, you got some lot, lots of fouling or, and yeah, granted it's not flashy, but these teams know that they're going to end up the end of the season just fighting for relegation and these are the games that they need to win. So even if nobody else cares... Yeah, this, that's, is, yeah. this is their championship actually, games. That's actually a really good point. The, the, the games that you can circle on your calendar, especially for a team like Crotone that desperately would love to stay up for another season um, and not be you know, the butt of the joke, the, 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 the trivia question in the pub, uh, who was the team that scored, the, you know, who, who played in the Serie A only one season in their yeah. history. Um, 
Yes, yeah, good point that these teams they need to win this one. They are a little bit chippy. Also, games like this is when you see like some of the really classy haircuts come out. <laughs> oh yeah. So I was saving this, uh, you know, hoping for it was going to be Crotone's first win, but I'm honestly not sure that's going to happen this season. So let's just make Pythagoras proud, the mathematician himself. There's geometry in the, the humming of the strings. There's music in the spacing of the spheres. Congratulations, Crotone. One point in Syria. And finally, Torino Empoli. 0-0. Zero, zero. Joe Hart notches a clean sheet in his home debut in a snoozer. Tad, what do you got? Yeah, Joe Hurt doesn't allow a goal scored in his opener. I'd, I'd like to go through the highlights, but, you know, like, what highlights? <laughs> um, we go through the stats, but I think the main stat to consider is that there were 22 people uh, playing a game with a ball where the point of the game is to put that ball in the net. This was not accomplished by either <laughs> team in over 90 minutes of action. Um, but, you know, obviously all eyes were on Joe Hart. Um, it's, his, it's his home debut. Um, he was the clear headliner uh, for Torino because they lined up without Belotti, without Maxi Lopez, without Jajic, without uh, Yeti. Um, and, you know, you really can't expect much fanfare from Empoli because their team featured, you know, Joey Belushi, um, a three-legged dog, uh, the third-place finisher in Season 7 of The Voice, um, and an animated piece of talking broccoli um, in their starting eleven. But Joey Belushi, the third Italian blues brother. Yeah, I, I, he, he, I don't know about that. But anyways, um, <laughs> actually, the, the goalkeeping show was was stolen by ex-Roma backup keeper uh, Lucas Skorupski. He played far more dramatic and, in, and an interesting role in the outcome of the game with five pretty sweet saves. Um, but it was really tough for Hart to make an impact when Empoli allowed him to just basically stand around and you know, ponder the pros and cons of Brexit um, and how it could have a possible impact on his finances, you know, now that he's earning the euro. Um, he didn't even touch uh, the ball competitively until the 63rd minute when he managed back-to-back saves against uh, Ricardo Saponara and Andres Tejo, two people that made the podcast because they touched a soccer ball just before Joe Hart in his Torino home debut, <laughs> and they most likely shan't be heard from on Curve America again. Um, but if we want to get Chris's... Uh, so, 0-0 zero, zero draw. But if we really, Chris, if we want to get that, you know, the, that, get the water blowing out of your blowhole, um, <laughs> we can discuss uh, Joe Hart's press conference where he spoke Italian. What, what were your thoughts on that? Loved every minute Ciao, of it. Ciao, grazie, pizza, pasta. That's exactly what I thought of when I saw it, because it was basically that. He wrote out all the words that like would get you through the first dinner in Italy that you've had on vacation. Uh, see, si, pizza, pasta, and... A destra, a sinistra, and that was it. Guys, give this guy credit. Close on the other team from Rome literally took like two seasons to even like have a translator, and he still was speaking English. Michael Schumacher, the English, the, the legend, <laughs> you know, German uh, race car driver for Ferrari, never spoke Italian. Like basically, always spoke English. Like, come on. Joe Hart is classic for getting up there, even if he had it written out, speaking Italian. And honestly, I could see this man speaking fluent in like two yeah, months because he obviously cares. I'm, I'm hoping so. I, I guess I compared it like when Michael Bradley went over and played, um, like he had Italian down fairly quickly. And let's, we'll give Joe Hart a minute here to learn some Italian, but it's just funny right now. I mean, to, for him to get up there and literally 
learn the 50 words that you need to say on the field and tell the Italian media, that's what I know. It's, it's just a funny moment. I, I lived in Rome for eight years, and all I did was speak English with Miroslav Klose. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think that Joe Hart, Torino, they're still going to be a good team this season. They're waiting for Bellotti to come back. And, uh, you know, who knows? I think Joe Hart probably end up being one of the leaders of this team, screaming at ball boys in no time. Yeah, I, I, Torino as a squad, granted they've had some injury problems. Um, you know, they only have four points. Um, they have to be better, uh, and I think they will be once they have their first-team squad because um, this is a team that has high expectations. And, you know, 5-1 victories um, are definitely things that you think that are, are what you come to expect from right now. It's an uphill battle for them. All right, that'll do it for week four in Syria. We got a challenge this week. We got week five and six, midweek and over the weekend. So here at Curve America, we're going to see how we handle that. But tune in next week. We got all the games for you. We Until have then, no idea what we're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> part of learning how to do a podcast. Um, but until then, guys, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please like us on iTunes. Leave your comments. We are genuinely interested in what you have to say about uh, the show. We're also on SoundCloud, so follow us on there. And until next week, guys, ragazzi, we say... Arrivederci. Ciao. Ciao. Laters.